This is Sarah with an exciting announcement. We have just launched the SideWoo Collective, a new inclusive community of artists, metaphysical practitioners, and the Woo Curious. The SideWoo Collective is, for now, an online community focused on art, the metaphysical, and general wellness. Essentially all the things you love about the podcast, but in real life. Our first offering is a three-week online course with classes every Sunday at 6 p.m. between February 12th and the 26th. Classes include sigil making with artist and educator Rachel Dawson, Intuition 101 with tarot reader and Scottish witch Amelia Whitehouse of the Carnelian Keep, and Drawing Your Shadow with Yours Truly. You can go to our new website, thesidewoo.com, to sign up, get on our mailing list, or reach out with any questions. This will be a great way to engage with one another and get a better understanding of who this community is. I'm really excited to share it with you and hope to see you there. Hi, this is Sarah Tebow. And this is Liz Bernstein, and we are the hosts of the Side Woo Podcast. This is a space to investigate what makes a creative life possible, from the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the metaphysical. Welcome to the Side Woo. Hello, and welcome to the last episode of 2023. This is Sarah. Today's episode is a real wild one, as they often are. This is sort of a follow-up interview to our conversation that we had earlier in the year with photographer and spiritualist anthropologist Shannon Taggart. She's author of the book Seance, which is finally being re-released. I think it just became available for direct order on Amazon and anywhere you can find books. And I'm I pre-ordered mine, so it should be coming any day now. I'm super excited. It's a beautiful color photographs as well as interviews and kind of narratives that she has gleaned from, I think, two decades worth of research in the field of spiritualism as well as other kind of subcultural, religious, and spiritual communities. So definitely worth checking out if that's an area of interest. Per our request... Shannon has kindly offered to focus this episode specifically on the intersection of spiritualism and Freddie Mercury, who is sort of a patron saint of the show. Definitely, as you may know, Liz is a fan. I'm also a fan. So we talk about the kind of experiences of Freddie showing up in spirit form and also just the role that like celebrity has played in the spiritualist community as far back as Benjamin Franklin, which is really interesting. We also briefly talk about sex with ghosts, which I think it was apparently in the news a while ago. A few different celebrities claim that they have sex with ghosts, as well as people who maybe feel like they have some kind of energetic connection with celebrities. Um, I think it's a really intense, controversial, and very sprawling topic that we'll be diving into in the next year, either with Shannon or there's an expert in the field that she mentioned. So, you know, just giving you a little peek into what we're thinking about for next year. So yeah, that's all for now. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much to everyone who has spent the year listening to our podcast. It really means a lot. And I've had so much fun. I, you know, Liz and I, we have a great time doing these calls. So thank you again. And off to the show. Hello. 
I installed a bird feeder for hummingbirds. Uh-huh. And so now all day, it's just like little hummingbirds coming to my window. They're so and they're so cute. cute. They're just eating sugar and flying around really fast and fighting with each other in this like really aggressive way. (laughs) But it's so cute. They're so... Um, I don't think they ever land on people. Like that's not their thing. I don't think so. Yeah, they're too aggressive. I was sitting at a like a porch thing and there was one kind of hanging out near the cactus and I was like, oh, it's so cute. And I was kind of staring at it and then it like turned to look at me and it was like, oh my God. It was like going to attack me. And, you know, if you see those things attack, they basically do what the Marvel superheroes do. They go up for like 60 feet and then they dive bomb at high velocity with their pointy little beak. So I was like, uh, yeah, I'm good. So I like turned away, <laughs> covered my face. Wait, is this real? You can't be rebranding hummingbirds as I know but they are really feisty but they do not like you staring at them but is it like I mean if something is feisty and it's an eighth of an ounce in weight yeah but they've got the speed and the pointy beak where I don't know if they would be able to penetrate how long they would survive high velocity attacks on their (laughs) face but I don't really want to find out Like, where have we wound up? It's like these, like, needles stabbing your eyes. I'm like, oh. Did you just watch the birds? <laughs> no, but I did see, I was just thinking that I went to the Academy of Motion Pictures, oh. which is like the Oscars Museum, and they had storyboards for the birds. Oh. And it was really interesting because it was this really beautiful layout. And then all of a sudden at the end, it was like frame after frame of like all these birds, and then they attack. Got well, that. What's his name? Who's the director? Super famous? Hitchcock. Hitchcock, right. Sorry. Yes. Excuse me. Oh, no. It's fine. So Hitchcock was in his women abuse phase. Oh, for sure. I, I don't think he really ever got out of that. No, but I think he was uh, obsessed with Tippi Hedren, who I think was yeah. the lead of the birds. So he kind of like psychologically. He like threw live birds at her. Yeah. And physically tried to torture her the entire filming because she wouldn't sleep with him would be my guess. Yeah. I saw a talk with her at the Castro and she owns a lion rescue. That's like what she does now. I know. Let's talk about Shannon for a second. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're having her on in like three minutes. I did talk to her when I was in Minnesota a little bit about celebrity call-ins during seances in general. We didn't really focus on Freddie Mercury, but she did say Michael Jackson was a big one too that people want to call in just to find out more how he died and just, you know, about his, what he's thinking. And what did he say? Did, has he ever shown up? I don't, I feel like that would be a good question for her. Yeah. I'm thinking that I want to obviously talk about Freddie Mercury, Definitely the role he plays in my spirituality and my like spiritual life, which this whole thing is just a wee bit embarrassing. No, it's cool. I think he's dead, so it actually makes it easier. <laughs> yeah, when they're alive, it's worse to be obsessed with living people. Yeah, right. Way. Well, and you know, the whole idea that on the other side, you know, we're all equal and all connected and And just this democracy of souls. And so then to know that on the other side, someone worshipped you, like, 
I don't know. I wonder how that'll go down for you once you've left the earthly plane or if you ever connected with him in a seance. I mean, I, <laughs> I like, I always get a little flustered when I, talk, when I talk about him. Yeah. There's a, there's also like this weird crossover between almost romantic feelings and worship. And obviously it's not, I was going to ask you, I mean, romantic, I don't mean that in the way of like, I'm expecting to go on a date with a dead gay man, (laughs) but there is like this kind of element of heightened, which I think exists in the romantic realm, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if people feel that way about Jesus, where there's sort of Mm -hmm. like this crossover. And I mean that sincerely, like people kind of want to worship and yeah, like a confusing thing. Confusing kind of love. Yeah. Well, I know in America, we apparently have the least words for love of other cultures in English. So maybe this would fall into some weird German combination word that is specifically meant to refer to love for celebrities or I don't know. Hi, Shannon. We were just doing a little pre-show chat about the love and adoration of certain celebrities and the role they play in people's spiritual lives. But I was also saying that with somebody like Freddie Mercury, it also gets sort of conflated with almost romantic feelings. And do people feel that way about like Jesus? Is there ever a conflation of, because the feelings are so heightened in romance And I mean, because sometimes you you just want to like, it would have been nice to give the man a touch on his shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of that. I mean, that's what nuns are married to Jesus. They're like brides of Christ. But not sexy brides, right? But like they maybe in their minds are harboring a little. I, I think all their, I've heard people who try to be monks or priests say that, you know, it doesn't really make sense. If you're a straight man, because, and I mean, this is, it was Jeffrey Kripal, the the historian of religion. He was trying to be a monk, but he's a straight man. And he said that there is an eroticism for Christ. So that's why it couldn't make sense for him. He couldn't figure out how to do it as a straight man Mm. because there was an erotic element to it. And like, there's a whole thing, which maybe we'll get into, I don't want to get too far ahead, but of people marrying spirits. Like spirit marriage. And it's hard to find stuff on that. And I met this woman who actually just did her PhD on it. And she's been on a few podcasts recently. You should have her on. Yeah. She's fascinating. I'll find her name. But she she was talking in this last one that I listened to her that people in voodoo marry spirits. And now some of them are marrying Maya Darren, the filmmaker, as like a beloved dead And I didn't even know, and I spent five years photographing voodoo, and I didn't even know that that was happening. Do you, you then, are you only married to the spirit, or do you also get to marry in the physical place? No, yeah, you marry in the physical place. If we talk about it, I can explain how I, because I have a kind of a funny story about, like, how I learned about it. But could we hear it? So I photographed, this is not celebrity stuff, but it, it gets into erotic spirit interaction or devotion because I when I was photographing voodoo my first event that I ever I met a mambo it took me a long time 
I was in Brooklyn working with Haitian immigrants and I found a Haitian voodoo mambo who accepted me to come and photograph. And the first thing I was invited to photograph was a wedding. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was thinking, oh, it's somebody is getting married and it's a voodoo wedding. As in any yeah. other tradition, they must have their own way of As marriage. Yeah, yeah, rituals. Yeah, it's like and... a, a, but so I get there and the evening begins and the mambo comes out walking as the bride, but she's dressed as Ursula Frida, who is an aspect of the goddess of love. And I'm thinking, what is happening? Because I know Rosemary is married. <laughs> it took yeah. me a minute to figure out that like, oh, she was embodying a spirit because nobody explained it to me or told me. And that she was the spirit of Urza Lee marrying this man. And so they do this whole marriage. And then there's this celebration. Cake is cut. And then everything stops. And she goes in the back. And then she emerges in a different outfit as Urza Lee Dantor, which is a, like the dark aspect of the goddess of love. And then she remarries him as Urza Lee Dantor. And then she tries to go after him with a knife. Because Dantor is very, very fiery and like he has to defend himself from her and then he commits to her. Anyway, so he got rings on two of his fingers, one for Ursula Frida, one for Ursula Dantor. And so that meant that for the rest of his life, he would have to devote one evening to each of those goddesses. And like some people are married to like seven spirits and you can know because you'll see the rings on their hands. And then they have to give them a night of their week every week. And like, they have to have this, they have a devotional relationship. And I, I don't understand fully how it works, but I have met people who are married to five spirits. Um, I have a question about that. And I, you know, I really want to say that my question is not coming from a place of like, oh my God, how could, you know, nope. I am, I am here for people expressing their love and devotion in many ways. But that just brought up a really sort of scary thought for me. How do we know the spirits consent to this? Like, well, okay, so I'm going to look up the woman's name because I don't want to screw it up because so I was fascinated and I wanted to know more about how this works. And well, and yeah, and is so since this is like a a higher deity, is it more akin to deity worship than a traditional marriage or like, because it's not an individual in the same way it is like, oh, your great grandmother coming through and then like some, uh, one of your neighbors right. marrying their So farm. the, okay, it's Dr. Megan Rose is the woman who recently did her PhD on spirit marriage. And she did her PhD on spirit marriage because it's really difficult to find information about it. And I can attest to that. She's right. It's very complicated. But what she says is that how she learned about it is because a spirit came to her in a dream and demanded to be married. And that's how the voodoo practitioners that I have met, it's more initiated by the spirit. So, mm. and, and then I have another question on that. I mean, do you know a lot more about it or? Is I this... do, but like I have like a cursory low resolution. I don't have a depth of knowledge. I've talked to practitioners and I've listened. I've actually met Dr. Megan Rose at a conference and 
she's, I I forget where she is. She might be in California, but she's really fascinating because she really did a deep dive in terms of many different types of practitioners who marry spirits. And she herself is married to one. So she's speaking from experience, but yeah, it's, it's like an erotic, it's not, it's an eroticism that spans, I think, um, multiple levels or like, I mean, it's not just like, you know, necessarily sexual, but some people marry trees too, like tree spirits or like in, in certain traditions. And also like this ties into the whole thing, which I've, I've been fascinated with is like, have you seen in the news, like the stories pop up all the time about like celebrities having like ghost sex, like ghost sex. Yeah. Ghosts can come and have sex with you, whether like you have to like at least subconsciously consent, but they can have sex with you. If they come into your dream and there's a, you dream about having sex with someone, probably it's not that person. It's probably a ghost who wants to come and have sex with you. Yeah. And, um, so, <laughs> so like I'm always fascinated because like Kesha and Lucy Liu and there's a whole bunch of celebrities who've like openly talked about having like ghost sex, like deliberately, like I consensually, yeah, consensually, yeah. But and also like they're they're like oh I want to have sex with a ghost and then a ghost comes. No, I think they just like had the experience. Like ghosts came yeah. to them. But I, I think the reason why I keep – I've, like, said the word consent, like, 50 times now in the last, like, <laughs> five minutes. I'm like, what if Freddie thinks I'm stalking him in the afterlife? Like, I mean that sincerely. What if this isn't pleasant? Like, what if it's, like, another stalker who is just mm. out for you? No, I'm, I'm, you're, you have a devotion to him. So I would assume that yeah. that he would appreciate it. You're not practicing black magic to like bring him in in a way that he doesn't want to. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. But this. No, I know. But that's what I'm saying. So like the negative stuff gets in where you like bring someone in where they don't necessarily want to be or you make make them do something they don't want to do. Okay. Which I think would be very hard actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Well, I'll get to Freddie Mercury. But before that, talking about in my book. I see I'm very fascinated with this relationship between dead celebrities and mediums or you know people in in this world and it's a topic that there's not that much I mean there's a lot of ways to look at it I guess let's say but in my book I told the story about I met this and when I knew her she would always talk about this boyfriend she had who was famous and but he's married and it's kind of complicated and I just assumed this was like a flesh relationship, right? And so then one day, I forget how it happened. I think I took a picture of her and she thought she saw him in it or something. She's like, he's right there. And I was like, "Who? well, who is it? What are you talking about? She's like, it's John Bon Jovi. And I was like, well, what? Because John Bon Jovi is alive, you know? And I, and I thought she meant flesh. And I said, well, what do you mean he's your boyfriend? And she's like, energetically. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And so I, I have to like, you know, as I, I have to make the point that this is a woman who functioned in reality. She had a very high powered job. She wasn't, I don't know what 
her, she wasn't, but I don't know if she also had mental health issues or not. I don't know, but she what did function and hold a job and had her own apartment. It wasn't like yeah. she wasn't able, like, I mean, she had a life where she functioned in reality. Um, so she knew when yeah. to talk about that and when to not talk about that. What judgment about how to release that type of information? I guess, I guess she was letting me in, but she would often talk about this as if it was a relationship that was as like real as anything else in her life. And so then I said, well, well, what do you mean when you are saying that? And she said, well, at night he comes into my bed and we have sex. I think it's an earthbound spirit who is not John Bon Jovi and is pretending to be. That's exact. So in my, I asked a parapsychologist what he thought. And he said, and the, I love this quote. It makes me laugh. He said, she's having sex with something, but it's not John Bon Jovi. <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. I love that you can consult someone about that. <laughs> I know. I know. So yeah. yeah. Did you tell her? No, because actually through a series of events, she had a falling out with a friend, our mutual friend. And so I, you know, I stopped see. talking with her, but. That's kind of scary actually, because not to go off on that tangent, but like if a ghost knows it can manipulate you and lie to you to that level, if she tried to ever break it off with this ghost, he could do a lot of other fucked up things too. Cause you basically let them in your body at that point. And then at that point, they can manipulate you in other ways if they can make you think that it's someone they're not, you know? I, so I worry about her a little bit. Hopefully she has a good support network. Mm -hmm. I just want to take a take a moment to note that I love this conversation, but just for anybody who's wondering, this is farther than my ability to believe. Like, <laughs> I, I am not fully in the Zoom room with this right, conversation. Right. I, I, mean, I, I am listening. I'm opening. But like... Well, this is this is this is yeah. this is beyond me. Well, have you ever heard of this book? It's called Elvis Afterlife: The Unusual Psychic Experiences Surrounding the Death of a Superstar by Raymond Moody. No. Okay, so this is a it, it's like such a juicy read. It's great, but Raymond Moody is the he's a medical doctor and a psychiatrist who coined the term near-death experience. Wow. He wrote the first book called Life After Life. And he was getting, in his research, he got a lot of anecdotes about people who were, while in grief, who were grieving Elvis and had similar experiences to like people have with their spouses or Elvis comes and shows uh, one man that where his drugged out son is. And it turns out to be true and like, things fall and they, people see Elvis, but in the last chapter, which I thought very, or in the conclusion, because he's a psychiatrist and he said, it's really common now for people to have like people in psychosis to have experiences with celebrities. And he draws a distinction. Right. And so he kind of talks about all the ones that he thinks is related to grief and is actual, like, we don't know what's really going on. And then he talks about the ones that he believes are related to psychosis, but it's like a very thin line. Like there's one story in the back with the part about people in psychosis where this one woman keeps getting pregnant with Elvis's baby and then going to the hospital and saying she has to birth it like over and over and over again. Well, th I mean, that's something 
that I feel like is one of the the lines in the sand or is that the consequences of psychosis are generally speaking different than the consequences of fandom. I mean, at least this is how I think about it. Then something that may or may not energetically be happening is like these extreme negative consequences of fear that basically get you locked up or shunned or are incredibly negative. But the people who are saying like, I'm having great sex at night are they're not having negative consequences from it. So I wonder if the consequences is sort of what's distinguishing mental illness. Yeah, but some people are with the the, the sex thing at night. One of the mediums in my book, the the ectoplasm guy, Kai Mugi, he he said that like in Germany, tons of people come to him for because they're sexually assaulted by by yeah. ghosts and that nobody will deal with these people. He said they they literally have nowhere to go with these experiences. They're earthbound. That's like what Amy does, uh, some of the work she does. To help them, to get them yeah. to leave. Um, and then. Yeah, you basically have to like, it's a whole thing. Like, it, I don't want to step on her toes, but you basically have to reaffirm free will in the person who's being attacked because your free will has been compromised thinking that you can't do anything. Because you don't know, like most, the average human doesn't know enough about energy work to be like, I know how to push a ghost out of my auric field. And then once you establish free will in yourself, you can then call in spirit police, which is a real thing. I know this is where Liz is like, you're full of shit, but (laughs) you call in spirit police and then like, and they come in the form of like different angels or whatever. And they come in and take the ghost somewhere where it can like heal and be rehabilitated away from you. Because as soon as they compromise your free will in this dimension, it's breaking spiritual law. So that's that's like the protection that we as physical beings have that energetically, as long as our free will says no, everything in our dimension has to respect that energetically or it's like creating bad karma or breaking spiritual law. So like if a ghost does something that you don't want it to do. Like you can say no and then it has – that's why it like leaves your house because it's like, oh, I have to to respect <laughs> spiritual law, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, And then this is where it gets into the spiritualism part because spiritualists, when you ask – if you'd ask a spiritualist medium about this, they'll say that would never happen to me because I right. have my vibration – Totally higher. I have my. I know who my guides are. They they protect my entry, which is probably true. If you even if you are scared of such things, do not open doorways to other totally. realms. Like, do not. You shouldn't be doing this type of work if you yeah. like. And that's why a lot of spiritualists fear need- gives away your free will. It's like being afraid is saying, "Oh, I can be attacked." And a lot of spiritualist mediums will not do the rescue work because they don't even want to deal with it. They, yeah. if, if it, if they encounter it, they'll deal with it, but they don't go seeking it out. Yeah. That's well, you know, I mean, I don't, and it gets kind of convoluted when you get down to like the, the mechanics of all of that stuff. And it's beyond me because I'm not a practitioner in that way, but yeah, that's like the big, so we're in agreement, I guess, on the way people have told us how it works. 
right yeah. there. Well, Sarah, I remember I remember you asking Amy about the challenges of assisting people who had done truly egregious things yeah. on the physical plane. Did she have conflict about being in that role of assistance? And yeah. she she in my memory of this was very clear, like that is her role. Like that totally. is what she does. And for her, it is not conflicted. But I also just wanted to say that when I found myself in a in a verbally abusive relationship with a boyfriend, you know, I was definitely before that somebody who would have said, I, I would never let myself get into a situation like that because I have such boundaries and I, I know how to protect myself. But then you know what? It gets confusing. And then you're in the moment, you get swept away. And, you know, thing, things happen and you, lo- you lose your, you, you don't have necessarily all the protections you think you have. Right. I think so. Totally. That you don't have a North Star anymore because yeah. they, yeah, they're not reflecting back to you, your reality. Right. And we're dealing with distortion of consciousness. So it's not. So, I mean, and this isn't about me, but in terms of mediums, maybe like, can you be overconfident about what your level of protection is basically. Definitely, I think. Yeah, but I also think like some of the mediums I've met have been doing it for so long and they are like, it's almost like a yogi or something. Like you are, you do get very masterful in how you work those muscles. And also just, if you notice in realism, if you ever go to a spiritualist church or a spiritualist website, it's all love and light. All the imagery is light. And it is, even though they do do darkroom seances with red light, that's not the aesthetic that they um, put out. You know, it's yeah. very much like Grandma Hallmark, mm. not like yeah. a color. Yeah. There's a lot of pastels. Yes. Yes. And that's part of it. And they even say, we don't right. need protection because it won't even come in the room with us. And, you know, some people think that's naive and other people think that's evolved. And that's a whole, you know, I constantly am getting those kind of questions and, and seeing practitioners argue about that. They do. Well, and what is your take on it? Because to me, I just feel like everyone's come here for a different purpose and you're going to resonate at a frequency that reflects that purpose so you can do the thing that you came here to do. Mm-hmm. And if their job is to be message mediums, they're probably not going to have the same experiences as someone who's supposed to be right. a rescue medium. Right. Like everything in spiritualism, it's a practice that's really about healing and doing things for others and doing things for the greater good and for your community and to relieve grief or to show that there's a connection or bring healing. It's not, it, there, it has absolutely zero to do with like magic. Oh, I want this to happen. And, and they do get clairvoyance future because they get past and future. Cause that's all kind of the same thing. So as yeah. much as they can see the past, they do talk about the future, but it's not like, like if you go to a spiritualist medium and you say, I want to talk to so-and-so they'll say, I don't do that. You can sit down and I will, I will give you a reading, but I can't, I can't control who's going to come or not. So it's very different in quote unquote necromancy where you call a specific Mm. person. So yeah, but, but in spiritualism, 
ever since the beginning, there have been reports, wild reports of celebrity spirits interacting (laughs) with mediums. And one of the first most famous ones was Ben Franklin. Like there were a lot of the early spiritualist mediums were reporting that Benjamin Franklin was coming. Like Kate Fox, one of the pioneers of spiritualism, the young girl, her and her sister heard the knocking. That's like what kind of kicked off spiritualism in upstate New York. He came to her in a seance and wrote his signature and left it. And then Isaac Post, who was like also an abolitionist, but a spiritualist, wrote a book, I think in the 1850s. And he said Franklin gave him the introduction. So there's an introduction written by Benjamin Franklin post-death in Isaac Post. I mean, this is like like an, an intellectual, an established person, an abolitionist who's saying Benjamin Franklin wrote this after, you know, post-death. Um I would believe that, honestly. Someone like that, I feel like he couldn't just help himself. He'd be like, I want to get in there and keep doing things in the real world, meddling. Yeah. And I mean, the Ben Franklin thing for spiritualists was the electricity because they were very interested in this idea of electricity in the body and electricity and spirituality. And so that's why Benjamin Franklin was revered because of his knowledge of electricity. And... I mean, it is astounding, the understanding of electricity, like, which obviously most lay people do not, including myself, but the transformative power of light switches is, you know, when you really think about it, it's like, all of a sudden you're sort of stoned, you know, like, what the hell? How is that possible? You know, it's amazing. Or you walk in the room and it turns on slowly. Like You just turn it on. It's like, boom. Well, yeah. And in... Native American culture, I mean, thunder and lightning, the thunder gods, you know, that's what's the proper term of black elk, the Native American medicine man, the Lakota. He talks about when he in his great revelation, you know, it comes with thunder and lightning. And it's this thunder lightning aspect where the spirits speak. And I, I, so I became fascinated by people struck by lightning who, then report psychic powers afterwards. Yeah. There's a woman named Elizabeth Crone and her story. Again, she wrote a book with Jeffrey Kripal, the religious studies guy who I mentioned earlier. She was Jewish, like did not believe in anything psychic at all. She was going to her synagogue to a memorial service and she got struck by lightning in the parking lot and had this near-death experience where she saw her whole life and she was told all this stuff and they said, you can go back. And if you go back, you're going to have a daughter, but you will get divorced. And I think it was like she was told all these tragic things and all these good things that would happen if she went back. And she did go back and they all happened. And then she became like a total psychic and she started having dreams where she foresaw all these natural disasters. I don't know. It's a wild story, but she it's completely she completely attributes to being struck by lightning. Well, there's definitely people, too, the repeaters who get struck by lightning multiple times, which just see, and I've heard of that a lot. I know one person who was struck by lightning and she was standing under a tree, but she was in a big city. So, you know, you don't expect that. It wasn't like a tree in a field. And she got struck and it hit her head and went down the side of her body and went out through her hip. And she didn't die, obviously. But, you know, talked about it as a very, like, psychically 
spiritually, emotionally transformative thing. Cause coming that close to a power that can obliterate you in that manner is just mind blowing. But yeah. What about the people who are know. struck like three or four times in a row? Like statistically it's cr- yeah. So that's that. But so thinking about Freddie Mercury in preparation for this, I called my friend who's a medium named Isabel Duchesne and she lives in Belgium and she actually, did you see that Afterlife series on Netflix, Life After Death? I did. I saw a couple episodes. Okay. So in one of the episodes, they use some of Isabel's pictures. Oh, okay. So she's like a spirit. Is that the one where they go to the Netherlands to that spiritualist? Yeah. Yeah. There's a medium there that is on screen. She's a character in it. And they use some pictures Isabel took of her in the Netflix series. So she's a spirit photographer and she's a friend of mine. She's, I also have photographed her. And so she, I know she has this very long history with the spirit of Freddie Mercury. So I called her and this is like a really cool story. Thank you. Cause I forgot the details of how she met him and whatever. So I called her and she said, okay, so in 2003, she was in her kitchen washing dishes and she had just thrown a party and she had borrowed her mother's like really nice china for this party. And she was washing the china and she said, all of a sudden, Freddie Mercury appeared like solid as anything, topless in a pair of white jeans and like no shoes. So it's like the way she described it is like almost very Jesus like. And she said she screamed and like dropped this stack of china and broke it because she was so shocked and she said he said hello darling and i'm still handsome aren't i and she was so like she said she couldn't speak and so she was like what are you doing here why are you here he said because i like your energy and so he said listen i need you to talk to phoebe and so phoebe was his like assistant peter freestone Peter Freestone. I think that was Phoebe. She's like, I need you to, he's like, I need you to get a message to Phoebe. And she, and he's like, you have to go to Switzerland and go find Phoebe. And she was like, I don't have any money to to do that. And I don't know what he's going to think I'm crazy. And he's like, don't worry, I'll get you the money. And she said, well, how is he going to know that I really have a message from you? And he said, Tell him I told you that one time one of his cats pooped in his toaster. Shut <laughs> up. Wow. Hold on. Can we just pause for one second? Because I'm dying. I'm, I mean, I am sorry. I truly, truly, truly. So Freddie wore white pants a lot on stage. And he wore, he often performed without shoes on, which oh, is God. for, you know, somebody who's so famous for those Adidas. There's a lot of footage of him performing without shoes. I mean, that's just something sort of you know about his stage. So, I mean, I don't know if she if she was a fan. She might have known that. I don't know. But, like, this is in 2003 she said this happened. And so... So well before the movie made, you know, the average... Yeah. Was she a huge fan? Did she know these things about him? I don't know. I didn't ask her that because I didn't know the white jeans thing. But she said he was topless in white jeans with no yeah. shoes. And, you know, oh, darling, don't I look good? And so anyway, he says, "You." so she doesn't remember the exact message she was supposed to give to Phoebe. It was some, it was, she said something about giving some, giving one of his objects to somebody. 
he wanted her to tell Phoebe and he said, tell him I told you that one of his cats pooped in a toaster once. And so she, she said three weeks later, she found an envelope with $3,000 in it in her bedroom that she didn't know how it got there. And so she said, shit, okay, I'm good. I'll do it. I'll go to Switzerland. What? This is the person you talk to? Yeah. That yeah, is, this is so crazy wild. That is so crazy. I also think that in Montreux, Switzerland, where Freddie had a penthouse and there was a place where Queen recorded their last album. And, it, you know, it's I know it's where Under Pressure was recorded with David Bowie. But anyway, if you go to Montreux and there's a big statue of Freddie there. Oh, my God. My cousin's there right now. In Montreux? Yeah. I just. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was just looking at her photos. So if you are at the statue and you look up, you can look into Freddie's penthouse apartment, which overlooks the water. But anyway, there. So there are a couple of people in Montreux, and I think Peter Freestone is one of them, where you can pay basically to have dinner with him. And he will, you know, he will talk about his experiences with Freddie. And it's after a day of like touring all of the Queen sites and the Queen Museum and all this. Anyway, I'm just, I'm truly having a heart attack. Okay, go on. So, so she says she says, I'll go. So she just, she doesn't know how to contact this Phoebe guy, but she goes to Montreux and Sarah, I have a picture of her. Actually, I can send it to you guys of her next to the statue on this trip. So she goes and she says, I don't know how to meet him. And then he walks right by her on the street. And so she stopped him and she said, I, I have a message for you from Freddie Mercury. And he was like, what, what, what? And, and she said, he told me to tell you, you would know it was true if I told you that one of your cats pooped in the toaster. And he said, oh my God, that's true. And so then she gave him the message. And then she said, like, shortly after, he actually wrote a book called Freddie Mercury, The Afterlife. And I didn't know this book exist. I, I existed. I Googled it and it, it did. It, he did publish a book called Freddie Mercury Afterlife. And I don't know what's in it, but this was after she had met him that he published. Wild. Oh my God. So cool. So what was the message again? It, it was, was just that. It was to give one of, she. Freddie wanted him to give something of his to somebody. And she doesn't remember the details. Like some object. Well, I wonder if then Freddie came to him more. Well, that I do have that sort of obvious question. Like, why not go to Peter? Right. I don't know. And she said it's because maybe he wasn't ready to receive that. I think she said, why are you here? Why me? He said, I like your energy or like, yeah, I don't know. I it's that's a very good question. And why wouldn't he? And she also says, so she says Freddie pops in and out all the time with her, and that he's writing an opera on the other side that he's pro- he's promises to give her. And she's trained as a classical musician. So I don't oh. know. Oh that makes a huge difference. Okay. That checks out. Yeah. And she has all these pictures of him that she says he appears in her mirror and she takes pictures. She said I could show you guys the pictures, but she doesn't want them published. Okay. Um, Yeah, that would be amazing. I would also like to interject my emotional state for a moment is that I 
am feeling jealous. I'm like, why would he go? I mean, and I mean this sincerely, like sort of like, why would he go to her? What's wrong with me? Why? I mean, I'm having these like, I'm not confessing this for any type of, basically, I'm embarrassed saying this out loud. That's what I'm saying. But yeah. I think that's normal though. Don't you think? Like, why not any of us? Like, why does she get chosen? Like, why not me? Why do you get that? I mean, I know a lot of mediums say that. Well, maybe it's a contagion thing. So I'll have to, because Isabel said that, then Freddie said, okay, I'm going to go visit your friend's. Tom and Kevin, who are these other mediums that we both know. And they said, Isabel told us, because I asked them to, I called them and asked them to. They said, yeah, he comes whenever we play his music in our seances. And the first time he came, Isabel said, he's going to come on like the 27th of this month. And he said, they said on that night, in the middle of the night, he started jumping on their bed and woke them up and was like, I'm here. And ever since then, they've like had all these seance experiences with him. And there's this really whacked out story that I wrote about in my book about they tried to bring two mediums together to manifest enough energy to like materialize Freddie Mercury. And they got a form that looked like an egg that danced. I mean, that's pretty good. (laughs) And that's like... I mean, (laughs) you know, so, but what I love about like when Isabel was telling me this story, I was dying laughing and I felt so happy because it was so funny. Like Freddie Mercury just appearing in these white jeans and saying, oh, go tell Phoebe that like a cat punched in his toaster and here's $3,000. Go find him in Switzerland. And then it plays out in real life. It's just the paranormal, it's just such like, I don't know, stories like this are full of so much humor and vitality yeah. and like so much life is in this story. Well, and it's, I mean, I I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why people have the relationship with these celebrities is that more traditional religion is fucking boring a lot of times and heavy and ritualized. Like I would like my higher power to jump on my bed. And, you know, obviously make $3,000 appear in my bedroom. But, you know, there there's a levity and a humor about this, an embracing of life that, is, that isn't heavy. Yeah, but I guess in Catholicism, part of the argument would be, okay, well, it's also dangerous. So there are like a church hierarchy. That's why, you know, that's why they put the monks and the nuns in the monasteries really? away, you know, like that's where the stuff is more apt, you know, where spiritual phenomena is more apt to happen. Oh, interesting because it's too dangerous to have that much power happening in broad daylight. Well, it, or it's like, that's why they have the priest yeah. class, you know, like it's. Oh, the intermediary. Yeah. And spiritualism. Absolutely. It, it circumvents that whole priest class thing and it it brings well so we're actually talking to so we're talking to a spiritualist minister who has been like a medium since he was like 10 mm. grew up in a family of spiritualists and he i just listened to a podcast i think Lizzie did too yeah. where he talks about democratizing spiritualism because even within some of the i think he was yeah grew up in texas so the churches where he was had this kind of hierarchy and said that there was some exclusivity. I don't know if you've run into that. Well, yeah, that's 
there's a lot of debate in spiritualism about what it actually is. And there's no dogma. There is no set standard. So there is always different interpretations and a lot of different ways of being. And in fact, it gets so confusing that one of the, I host a symposium every year in, in Lilydale and I'm hosting oh, yeah. with a, a, a spiritualist and a feminist scholar who was like, she's going to devote part of her talk to talk about all the different definitions of spiritualism and Amazing. why they vary and what the issues are within it. Like even defining it is difficult. If you guys want, I can do a whole nother extra about Michael Jackson. I want you to feel free to like, you know, this was an extra. I mean, I'm truly like metabolizing all the things that you're saying. And I feel like I could get kind of like a PhD and basically everything that you know. <laughs> and so there's like no end to my interest. No, I love it. Cause like this topic is something I think about. Cause I did this whole other project about Michael Jackson then, because I kept meeting all these mediums who were having these experiences with Michael Jackson. And actually, you know, in, it's a lot of times it's musicians and singers who've lived through a lot of strife, which absolutely I would put Freddie in that class. Yeah. You, you know, I think that's why the spiritualists why they're so popular because they they've triumphed over a lot in their lives and they you know the- they're kind of they're this vehicle for the hero's journey they c- go through whatever obstacles to come out on top well not a lot the ones that are really like have staying power i feel like well right? michael jackson i feel like that is not a that is not a story that feels like no, lines up on top. In the interviews I've seen with him, he seems like a very hurt, um, yeah, okay, broken human, sort of at at his baseline, and I think basically overdosed at yeah the yeah died tragically died tragically and alone. Um, but but I mean, there's something about the triumph of the spirit, and what I argue is that <clears throat> Michael is black, white, child, adult, male, female. He's blurring all these boundaries, man, animal, like, and even the way he dies, blurring the states of awake and asleep. And also he channeled a lot of his music. He It would come mm. to him in dreams and stuff. Oh, that's so there, cool. There's like a lot there. Did you guys know that Freddie and Michael, they collaborated on a song that was never released? And when you see interviews of Freddie Mercury, I've never seen interviews with Michael talking about it. But when you see interviews with Freddie talking about the collaboration of their song, he is basically saying he's worked with many singers and people always are you know, open to his notes and open to sort of learning from Freddie and... He's like, but not Michael, but not in a bad way. But he's basically like Michael is coming as a complete, like the things coming out of his mouth are the end product in a way that is different than Mm. what other people release from their bodies as the music that we are listening to. But it's a very, there's just a little snippet of interview with Freddie talking about Michael. Right. Okay. So in my talk, I'll just address that really quick. I have an article that says part of the reason that that music wasn't released is because Michael insisted on bringing his llama named Louis Armstrong into the recording studio with him and Freddie. And it totally freaked Freddie out. And he called his manager and 
this article came out around the time that they did release some of it. I think Brian May released some of it. And Freddie said, the manager, you got to get me out of here because this recording session is a nightmare. He has this llama in the studio and it's like totally freaking me out. And I can't work like this. Emotional support llama. So I think the llama also contributed, but that's really interesting. I had never heard him say that about Michael's process because that is true. Like when he did Billie Jean, he sung the vocals once. The final track is the first time he sang it. And they reworked the music 91 times to make it perfect. And there's a lot to that song, Billie Jean, but I'll save that. (laughs) Oh, like you mean in terms of what what we're talking about? Yeah, there's like a whole thing about that song, Billie Jean, about like what it means to him. Um, Just the role that YouTube plays in this, because the flying fistball do I know about that 22nd, you know, whatever, like this level of intimacy you can have now with these people who you're kind of obsessed with in the afterlife is, it's unbelievable. I mean, 20 years ago, it would have been unfathomable to have access to these type of intimate portrayals of them. It's wild. It is. But yeah, no, that I, but Freddie, there's a lot of mediums who are claiming all this stuff. And I just loved the Isabel's story because it did have like an element that came true. Like she did meet the guy and he did acknowledge the message. It's astounding. So so cool. So like that book, Freddie in the Afterlife. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That I want to get that book, too. I'm like dying now. I'm dying of curiosity. Have you done any seances recently or anything? Because you t- typically are like photographing, but do you do it also just sometimes? What since the pandemic, I've been doing these sessions where I meet people online and we do like technology experiments. But I haven't been in a circle. I went to Lilydale this summer, and I think I got a reading, but I haven't done much lately. Although I hope to pick it back up. Yeah. I just started a small seance group with a couple of friends that took this mediumship class this summer. And I was thinking we would try to get like a reading for Liz and see if like someone would come through or Freddie would come through. But you can't really like ask, right? Or you can, I mean, have you seen people ask for a celebrity to come in and then they actually do come in? Or is it more like you kind of have to get lucky? I've never seen people ask. I've seen mediums say that, okay, some of their guys are celebrities and they might come in. And, you know, then I've met regular mediums who there's a story in my book about one of the mediums who said she kept getting Elvis Mm. and the woman was, she was giving a reading and she was like, no, I'm not that it can't be Elvis get out. And she said three times she told him to get out. And he wouldn't get out. And so then she said, I'm sorry, I have Elvis here. And, and the woman said, my mother was his housekeeper. Wow. And so, so she said, well, then I learned to like, just accept it if a celebrity pops in because, you know, you know they're why. dead people too. And so it's not always so, I guess, sometimes it's very mundane. Like it's not always, they they come into the seance and do these fabulous performances and I, you know, that's, it's, it is, it's a hard thing to swallow. Like, oh, Louis Armstrong comes in and sings in your seance. And 
I have a friend who's she's a professional musician and she went to a seance and Louis Armstrong came and like she said, I just can't I can't accept it because I can't understand why Louis Armstrong would come back from the dead to play the harmonica badly. <laughs> oh, like meaning because she was? Well, because yeah, because she the she her with her musical ear was hearing this medium saying it was Louis Armstrong playing this harmonica and it just sounded awful. And it was a harmonica. It wasn't a trumpet. <laughs> right. Well, that's funny. But did he play the harmonica in real life? No, I no. he played the trumpet. No, right. So like maybe he would be bad at the harmonica, but yeah. Why of all things would you play right. that? Right. It's just like <laughs> the level of absurdity. That's why I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but I find it all fascinating. Same. Absolutely. And I think that the I don't know what's going on part of the conversation is part of the reason why it's fascinating. I know, Sarah, you feel more like you know, I mean, you, you know what's going on, but it doesn't make your analysis less critical or investigative. It just, it just brings a different type of certainty and lens about it. Yeah. Well, because I know what it feels to receive something and to also doubt that it's coming in and then be like, oh, actually that is the thing because you get confirmation from the person you're reading for. But it doesn't mean that I know what happened for some random person in a story, you know, like the one who's having sex with whoever every night. Like I have an idea of what that could possibly be, but it's still fascinating to think about. Right. And I've been in the room where I think the medium really means well, but I don't believe they're having the experience that they think they're having. Like it doesn't Mm. feel real to the rest of us in the room. Yeah. And Mm. so I don't know what's going on there, you know, and sometimes mediums go hot Mm. and cold. Like, yeah. When you can have a false guide, like, especially the more you work maybe with the darker spirits, I don't know about, just message mediumship. But like, if you're a rescue, I know for myself, a couple of years ago, I thought my grandma was coming through, but it wasn't my grandma, (laughs) you know? And so, but, and also people in my classes have talked about like finding out that their guides are not who they thought they were. And yeah. And I think if that's a lesson that you're meant to learn to help other people, then you're going to learn it. Otherwise you'll probably never have to deal with that. But so if a medium isn't telling you the truth. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing it maliciously. It might just mean that like they're being tricked by some spirit energy that has come into their life for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm thinking too of like mediums that are uh, maybe not so highly trained or also have other things going on or, and you know, there are, I mean, it's rare for me when I've met, but I have met some people who I think get on the road for the money, you know. Oh, yeah. There's got to be full-on trickster, con man. Yeah. I mean, it's not like everybody who says I can contact the dead has this, like, you know, lockdown on the Right, ethics. right. But, like, um, to be honest, like, more often than not, it, I've met really sincere people who are just having these really absolutely wild personal experiences that I believe that they're having, but I just can't. It's hard to understand some of it, you know, but yeah, for sure. I think until it happens to you, you don't actually think it could happen to you. 
and it is hard to believe it. But I think that's the other part about like making it more accessible is rather than having to prove to every single human like through an experience of being read to that helping people develop their own intuition and connection to their spiritual realms, I'm hoping that that's an easier way to get people more kind of tuned in and able to like believe in the spirit world at all. Not that I'm like, you have to believe, you know, to exist, but we'll see. That's kind of seeing it as a continuation of instincts and it's much more accessible than seeing it as sort of a leap into metaphysical relationships. Well, yeah. Like Ghostbusters basically. (laughs) And one of the things that I loved about Isabel's story is because this is a point, this connects to some of the research I'm currently doing is that she's in her kitchen washing dishes, you know, like in a domestic setting doing housework and that's when it happens like this is a very common thing Mm. that women in their kitchen being confronted with the these metaphysical forces Mm. in the midst of their domestic work like this is interesting this pops up in very many places it could be something about the mindset of doing something kind of repetitive and you're kind of like daydreaming and so yeah because you're you know you're on a your thinking mind is on a, a just a, a, a task like a humming task. So it might be you're in meditation or, often, mm-hmm. essentially, yeah. and deeper meditation than when you know I meditate. <laughs> it's like when you're really in the flow of folding laundry or doing the dishes, you know, all the kind of Buddhist stuff where you're just like really there and present. But I also feel like, you know, if there's the sound of running water, like I think that can be very Oh yeah. Like a water feature. Yeah. 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 Like while you're doing dishes, like running water is such a, like a clearing static sound. So uh, yeah, that's something that it connects to a lot of famous stories and a lot of like things I hear anecdotally. So I really believe there has to be something to that. Yeah. So everyone at home, you know, instead of meditating and getting your bowl of salt water out. You just go wash your dishes for a few hours and see what happens. Um, yeah. Liz is like, yes. okay. My dishes will never be as clean again. Or, or wait, the reverse. Uh-huh. They'll be so clean in the future. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. I just, this intersection of Freddie and spiritual life to be clear, like I have never felt the principles of spirituality the way I felt with him. I have my heart being open to love and surrounded by wow. light and part of something greater and connected to the past and the present and the future. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time in AA, like really seeking and searching for things larger than myself to connect to. And I love AA and I love the way it talks about spirituality because it's such an open door to anybody. Spirituality is literally anything. They say it can be your doorknob. It can be anything, the sound of the waves, anything that's greater than you. But, and I've gotten a lot of peace with that, but there has been nothing like what this is unlocked. Like it has truly unlocked something that is, almost revelatory in the way it has energetically like opened my heart. It's like nothing I have experienced. And it's very connected to earthbound Freddie too, which I feel like 
you know, to his like pursuit of pleasure, the lover of life, singer of songs. Like it's a very like earthy, carnal spirituality and where it it like touches all of your physicality and, and sex and food and, you know, abundance. But I have never, like this is truly, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but nothing has ever come close to what this is. It is truly like an epic spiritual state of love. And how does how does that look like on a daily basis? Well, I have shrines to him in my house. I have photographs of him on almost every wall. I have, you know, a four by, I'm not interested in like the band photography. I have a lot of candid snapshots of him from in dressing rooms, getting ready for performances. And some of them are, you know, three by five feet tall and like ones in my bedroom. And I have, so, you know, that's a huge ass picture of him. So he's every, I have candles and, and pictures and I have books of him, you know, with him and his husband, Jim. And so he's like literally everywhere in my laundry room and on, on the wall behind me there. So I, there's, I'm surrounded by these things that hold the energy of Mm. what he was in his lifetime. And I also have, so like, I have this, like, so like you can kind of like step into that energy as a way to keep yourself lifted. Or I'm just curious, like, so yeah, you have all these props around you to like engage and what is the actual Right. What is it doing? What's it doing? So it's not a stepping in. It's like the plane is elevated by those objects and it lifts you with it and enters your body and expands you and it connects you. I'm not doing I'm like open to it because my heart is so open to it. But it is it is the gateway. Like I'm not the gateway, which I feel like I'm going to be locked up after saying this. No, because but what you're describing, it's like a devotion to a saint. Mm-hmm. Like that's how people work with spirits and work with saints. And the thing is, is it just it is. That's the other part of it. It's like it is fully and complete the way it is without me doing it. You know, I don't have to concentrate, sit down, channel it, pray, write a thing, but it, yada, da, 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 da. There's not a lot of ceremony in it. It, It's very much a fully formed state of being that is a link between the past, the present, and the future, and the, like, the continuity of energy that is accessible through the triggers of seeing Freddie's face and having the artifacts of his existence. It's fucking wild. I mean, my devotion is, I just really, what you're doing is in, I mean, it's ancient practice. It's like, I I mean, I'm sure you'd find parallels in many different types of faith. Oh. And it sounds like you just came to it totally naturally. So that's very, I came to it totally naturally. And my sort of devotional scriptures happened through YouTube which is totally weird. But the whole process of, I've never described it this fully, by the way. This is totally new language for me to actually describe it because I talk about it mostly as being obsessed with Freddie, which is true. I can drill into the details, but like how it actually functions. 
but the process of watching people on YouTube respond to his videos and his interviews where you're almost in a congregation together, joining in in this reverence where you feel connected in that way is incredibly powerful. And, you know. No, that's so interesting. I'm glad we have Shannon here too to talk about, to contextualize it with other religious practices. I have no framework for that at all. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Neither. Yeah. And it sounds like you are having experiences with him just from the fullness of the feeling that you're getting. I almost didn't want to bring this up because it sounds cuckoo, but, and I also don't want to take away from Liz's devotion, but he was instrumental in me staying out on the road as a nomad. When I it was mid 2019 and I had been traveling for like a year without a home to different artist residencies and stuff. And the movie had come out. I had watched the movie in Greece and the scene where they sell the van to make the album. It just really stuck with me, you know, partly because my dad was a musician, but I just felt like this idea of risking it all for this dream that you have was really inspiring. So I ended up, I had some Bitcoin, so I ended up selling it to stay traveling, which, you know, you could argue. And I also cashed out some of my (laughs) 401k. So, you know, probably not like what anyone would advise anyone to do, but it also bought me this amazing year right before the world went on lockdown for two years. And I knew that I would be getting experiences that I had to have. So again, you know, not giving anyone advice, but So I definitely was kind of a fan. But then, but later during the pandemic, I was just having a really hard time. And I had just gotten all these herbs from Scarlet Sage on Valencia Street. And I was in the bath and I just said this prayer because I had been watching Bohemian Rhapsody. And I just said like, Freddie, if I could harness even a percentage of your energy, like, you know, just come in. I had like a, I don't know if it was the herbs or Freddie came in, but I was like high for the next 24 hours. Like I had not been that happy without anything extra happening for so long. Just like stepping into the energy of who Freddie was at his best. It was really helpful, you know, because I just felt like, I don't know, I just felt light and playful and and optimistic. I don't know, you know, which was really important at that time. So yeah, that was my Freddie spirit experience, if that's what it was. And I didn't like have a conversation with anyone, but it was like more just about the energy frequency. So, Dude, it is not, when you are in a, a dark emotional place, if you have a transformative moment and things start to feel a little lighter, that is not for nothing. You know, that, that is a very, that is a real thing, you know, and, and it's significant. It's not easy to shift darkness when it's really like when your heart is feeling pain. Yeah. Like like transmuted out of nowhere, you know, like it was kind of like went from like zero to 60 all of a sudden. So I felt like, okay, that was nice. (laughs) Okay. I know we have to wrap this we do. Yeah. Shannon, thank you, Shannon. Thank, thank you. you so much thank for indulging you. us. I love talking to you guys. Oh that my was God. So fun. That was amazing. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the woo.